religion. Because here's their critique. We're in our series criticizing, uh, criticizing Christianity. We're looking at the big criticisms that, that, that atheists, agnostics, critics have against our faith, against Christianity. And, and the one that, that we're looking at this morning, this is, um, uh, this is actually, this is kind of sad for me. It's our final one. We've done, uh, it's a six-week series. This is our final week in our six-week series. I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoy it. I mean, if you don't like it, I'm gonna, we're going to keep doing it maybe later. I enjoy it so much that, you know, if no one comes, I'll just, I'll, it's fine. I'll just keep going. Um, I, I, I love like uh, looking at the big questions and answering the big questions. And, and the question this morning we're looking at is, is this, this is the, the issue that comes up a lot. Um, I, listen, I can be a good person without religion. I don't need religion to tell me right and wrong good and bad, tell me how to live my life. This, this critique is, um, is often brought up in conversations uh, about religion and conversations, debates about religion and morality and, and how do we know right and wrong. And, and, um, and usually what happens is one side says, you need God to, uh, to tell us. And the other side says, I don't need God to tell me how to live a good life. I don't need religion at all. I, I can do it on my own. I'm doing a good job on my own. This critique usually is often phrased two ways. The first is a defense, which a lot have. And then the second is an assertion. And this is a a little bit more confrontational. The defense goes like this. I don't need religion to be a good person. Listen, I don't, you can have that. That's fine. But like for me, I don't need religion. I don't, I just don't need religion to tell me what to do. The assertion goes a step further. And this is what a lot of the, the uh, kind of what's often referred to as the new atheist movement. What they'll say is that not only do I not need religion to be a good person, we're better off without it. We should just get rid of religion. That religion is actually a detriment to society and to us. My favorite atheist, uh, I do have a favorite atheist. Uh, he, the late Christopher Hitchens, um, I think I've shared about him a little bit in the, in the past. Uh, I, I would have loved to meet and chat with him, but um, uh, he regularly claimed both of these. In fact, um, he said he was able to be good without belief in God. I don't need belief in God and still live a good moral life. He would also take offense at the claim that we need God to be good. He would be, off- he would t- he would be offended, genuinely offended that, that I, that I can't be good without God. And then we'd go on to say, listen, I, I, I know because of pointing out the many injustices of religion that he says, I can live a more just moral life than a lot of religious people. Not only do I not need God, he makes things worse. Religion makes things worse. The title of his book when it came out that made it put him on the map is God is not great. And the subtitle and is very intentional how religion poisons everything. And he believed that. Religion poisons every aspect of life. It wasn't just a matter of, I don't need it. It's a matter of, we're better off without it. Religion poisons everything. He repeated the claim that many critics of religions do. I can be a good person without religion. And here's the deal. Ready for this? This is one of the many controversial statements I'll say this morning. You know what? He's right. He's not wrong. You can be a good person without religion. I'm going to prove it to you right now. Okay, you all, you all got two hands? Okay, hold them up. Just, just show me your fingers. I'm assuming we all got 10 fingers uh, okay, good. If not, you know, just, just make it up. Here's what I want you to do. Okay, ready? 
I want you to rate yourself on a scale of one to 10. Okay, and, and after I say this, you may wanna be like, oh, you do so privately. Scale of one to 10. One being you are the worst possible person you could ever be. 10 being you are the greatest person you could ever be. Rate yourself on a scale of one to 10. How good are you right now as you sit here right now in the seat on, on uh, what is it? It's uh, on uh, Sunday, the, uh, May 29th. How good are you on a scale of one to 10? Go, show me. Okay, great. Just show me what you got, right? One being like, like, like please leave this room. We don't, you can't be in here anymore. Like you are, you are as terrible as you could possibly be. Now be honest, okay? 10 being like, you guys, like you all should be my friends. You, you should really get to know me. I'm pretty awesome, right? In fact, I could not be more awesomer. Okay, on a scale of one to 10, what are you? Now, I, I'm, I'm gonna guess you're, you're probably not, like maybe some of us, like we're like, oh, I'm a 10. And then, you know, your neighbor's like, dude, okay. <laughs> there's, there's no, you're, come on, there's no way, right? Um, and, and maybe some of us like said one, but I would venture to say, uh, I 100%, you're not a one. You could be worse. I promise you could be worse. So you're probably somewhere in between, right? Whatever your number is, just, I'll just pick a number, right? So you're, you're, if five is the middle, you're probably like, all right, I think I'm better than, I'm, I'm, I'm on the, the good side more than the bad side, hopefully, maybe. So you're like, ah, I'm a six, you know, on some you know, good days and a half, you know, I got a, uh, like some, maybe a seven. Like when I'm sleeping, I'm like an eight, right? Because like, I'm not doing anything wrong. But like, okay, whatever your number is, whatever it is. All right, now I want you to, to do another hypothesis, just kind of think through, right? I want you to pretend or assume you give up whatever faith you have, whatever that is. Right? Get rid of it. If you're a Christian, you get rid of it. If you're, if you're, if you're interested or whatever, like whatever understanding of religion that you have, your experience is personal to you. I want you to assume that you've left the faith, you've given it up, you're done with it. Now, don't do this for real, of course, right? I mean, like, but, but I want you to think through this, okay? Okay, whatever you were, let's just say you were a seven. We'll just pick a number. Okay, you now are no longer a Christian. You left the faith, you stopped coming to church, you don't listen to this guy on the stage anymore, you're done with it all. Okay, now score yourself. What are you? What are you? Okay, think through, right? Again, I'm gonna guess. You're probably not a 10. I mean, maybe you're like, oh, I'm way better off now. Uh, okay, but I'm also gonna think, well, you're, you probably don't go to a one. Like, like you could still be worse. You, you might say like, actually, I don't, uh, I might go down a little. I might go down a little. Maybe like a lot. Here's the deal. Here's the point. Ready? Even if you weren't a Christian, there's still some good in you. I know it. M most of you, at least, I think. They're really, they're really, like, you don't need religion to be a good person, as evidenced by all the people who are great people who aren't religious. They can still be five, six, seven. They, listen, they can be better than you. There are plenty of people that I know that as non-Christians are better than some of the Christians I know. Christopher Hitchens is right. I don't need religion to be good. So how do we respond? What do we say? Is he right and we should just give up faith? Of course not. So let's look at this critique. We're gonna look at it and we're gonna go backwards. We're gonna start with the, the assertion they make that, that religion, that like we're better off without religion. Just get rid of all of it. 
So we'll address that first and then we'll work backwards to our, this, this, I don't need God to be a good person. The first thing we'll see is that there is some truth to this. Frankly, if we're honest, ready? We would be better off without certain religions. That if certain religions didn't exist, society, culture, humanity would be better off. Now, I don't wanna get into a debate about which religions they are and shouting match that is not profitable, but, but there are some that I think we all could agree and say, yeah, that one didn't go so well. There are plenty, there are plenty of cults that end up in the news. We remember them like, like because of, 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 uh, of just how like poorly and, and how shocking it was when it ended. There are plenty of cults that get into like uh, um, this idea of like pursuing what's next before your time. And, and there have been numerous cults and religions that practice mass suicide. You probably remember some of these, right? Remember Heaven's Gate? You remember, and like they were all dressed the same and had the same, uh, same shoes, like, which was like really like odd. Like, okay, clearly you guys prepared for this. Uh, quick story, a buddy of mine was in the Nike store and sold them those shoes. Isn't that weird? He's like, this is strange. So they bought like, you know, 80 pairs of the Nikes. He's like, man, I, I had a good commission that day. <laughs> and then the next day they're on the news. We can all agree and say, like, listen, if we all joined that cult, like the entire world, wouldn't have gone well for all of us. We would say that is detrimental if we all believe that. That's a problem. There are plenty, there are other religions that practice and, and, um, and, um, and encourage um, abuse. We would say, wait a minute. I mean, real, genuine discrimination and abuse and, and this is not good. Now, here's the deal. Because we could say some religious beliefs or faiths like are detrimental, does that mean all of them are? Of course not. To say all religions are, are bad and wrong because some of them are, because I can point to some instances where religion is, like it is detrimental, is like saying this. And, and I learned this, and I, hopefully you did too. Uh, when you were in school, um, we went through um, uh, like... Um, uh, what was it, uh, Red Ribbon Week, I think, or Drug Week, and it was, we had to learn this, drugs are bad. Did you know that? I hope, if you didn't know that, today you do. Except for the fact that they lied to you. Drugs aren't bad. Certain drugs are bad. Others are life-giving. We don't call them drugs, we call them medication. To say all drugs are bad is to, is to misunderstand what drugs are. And like you, a lot of us, we took drugs this morning. I mean, hopefully medication. Hopefully you took medication this morning. But like there are life-giving drugs. Some of us, like, it, like we need it because of certain ailments or issues or, or maybe cancer. And like these drugs are the things that are, are helping us fight. They're good. So to say drugs are bad because some are um, is simply inaccurate. To say religion is bad because some are, likewise, it just simply isn't accurate. So what are we gonna do this morning? I, 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 frankly, um, I'm not here to defend a religion. I'm not here to defend all religion. What I am going to do is defend our religion and the truth in our faith and understanding. And to say, okay, this, this is like, 
We can say some religions are bad, but let's talk about this one. I want to talk about our faith, Christianity. And, and let's discuss if this is bad or not and, and, and how we should interact with this particular faith. Is the world better off without Christianity? Here's the first point we'll make. If we eliminate Christianity, you and I, we erase it from the world, from our memory banks, from everyone who practices Christianity, the largest religion in the world, if we could somehow eliminate it, we eliminate a source of countless good. If we eliminate Christianity, we eliminate a source of just unending, like uncountable good. The USA Today had an op-ed uh, in 2016, and this is great. And it, USA Today is by no means a Christian uh, organization or, uh, or um, uh, paper. It says this, it had an article titled, Religion May Be a Miracle Drug. This, this is from Secular Studies, and here's what this study found. Re- regular religious participation reduces mortality rates by 20 to 30% over a 15 year period. Research suggests that that those who regularly attend services are more optimistic, have lower rates of depression, are less likely to commit suicide, have a greater purpose in life, are less likely to divorce and are more self-controlled. If you were to give that list without the word religion in it, it doesn't matter what it is, it would be taken seriously to say, okay, what is this miracle elixir that can do all of this stuff? And then you find out, oh, it's, Religious, regular religious participation. Oh, research, it seems, tells us that religion doesn't poison everything. It seems instead to actually improve our lives. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, she wrote a book um, called Confronting Christianity, um, 12 Hard Questions um, for the World's Largest Religion. And she is a Christian in defense of Christianity. And she addresses the, the 12 like, like biggest questions and critiques. And, and it's a really good book. Um, if, you, uh, if you love to read, grab it, uh, Confronting Christianity. Um, and, and in it, she writes uh, about the, the benefits of, she picks just seven biblical principles. So I thought I would just share it with you to, to save you the time of having to read this. And just seven biblical principles and the effect that it has on us and life. And, and, uh, and here they are. The first one is, it really is more blessed to give than to receive. She talks about a growing body of research suggests that giving is good for us and financial generosity has psychological payoffs. And that, that even amongst the wealthy, that those who actually give their money away are happier. That people, you, I, anyone who actually practices generosity is happier than those who don't, than those who just want more. That, that giving really is better than receiving. What do you know? The Bible had it right a couple thousand years ago, long before this study. Um, And uh, the second one is this, a love of money disappoints. Shocker. Now, here's here's the thing that that people will often say, like the pursuit of money, right, is the root of evil or like, hey, you know, uh, um, becoming wealthy is not gonna solve all your problems. And the response is, yeah, but let me try. Jonathan Haidt uh, in The Happiness Hypothesis, he writes this, wealth itself only has only a small direct effect on happiness. He says his whole book on happiness. That wealth itself 
has only a small direct effect on happiness because here's why, it so effectively speeds up that what he calls the hedonic treadmill, hedonic as like hedonist, like those who pursue only their, their personal like selfish gain and pleasure above, like above all else. He says that, that wealth actually speeds up this treadmill of self-centeredness. That the more money you make, the more, the more it becomes about you and the more you want. And the more it becomes about you just acquiring wealth to purchase your comfort and happiness. And your comfort, let me rephrase, my comfort and happiness, way more important than yours. Did you know that? Also a true statement. It's how I live my life, just pursuing my own comfort. Listen, there are plenty of those who do, plenty of us who do. And we realize, oh man, Money and the love of money. When, it, when the Bible talks about the, that the love of money is a root of all, of, of all kinds of evil and that through it, it says that many have pierced themselves with many pains. Ooh, the Bible got that one right. Here's a, here's a third one. Work works, this is great. Work works when it's a calling. The Bible talks about how, um, how we don't work just for like a salary, just to make ends meet, just for a job, but rather we're told to work as unto the Lord, that, that not to men, that you are working for Jesus, that whatever your job is, you should see it as, uh, this is literally how I worship. I'm going to worship the Lord through my job, whatever it is. I'm gonna be the best at it. I'm gonna do the best. I'm gonna, with integrity, I'm gonna lead. I'm going to worship God through my work. There's a, a, a the psychology professor, Angela Duckworth, she tells a parable and this is great. She says, there's three bricklayers and they're asked this question, what are you doing, right? There's three of them all doing the same project. The first one says, oh, I'm laying bricks. That's true, it's what you're doing. The second one says, uh, I am building a church. Okay, so that's what you're building, all right. And then the third one says, I'm building the house of God. He saw his job not as just bricklaying. And, and she references that this, this is the difference between a job. I'm just putting brick. They pay me to put the bricks down. I'm praying. As soon as I'm done here, I'm out and I'm going to the weekend and I'm doing my life. And then I'll come back and lay bricks. And what, this is what I do. The second is a career. Hey, I build stuff. And I happen to be building a church. The third is a calling where the, this bricklayer says, no, no, no. This isn't just a building or a church. Like, like I'm going to worship God even as a bricklayer. When I'm building. Christianity, when it, when, it, when it discusses work as a calling, it actually adds purpose for our life. And here's the thing, it almost doesn't matter the job. You can find purpose. Number four, she mentions, we really can be happy in all circumstances. Paul says this, he says, I learned to be content in all things. I've been hungry, I've been, I've been well-fed, uh, I've been uh, in shelter, I've been homeless, like I, I've, and I've learned the secret to be content in all circumstances. Modern psychology suggests that we have a highly developed ability to synthesize happiness. What one Harvard psychology professor uh, named Gilbert, his last name Gilbert, who is also an atheist, he calls our psychological immune system that we have, just like we, our body has a physical immune system, we have a psychological immune system that kicks in when we face hardship. Here's just, here's just great. 
he says that, that and, he, and he looks at various people who went through just extremely traumatic hardship, um, people in like uh, prisoner of war camps and uh, wrongfully convicted um, and sent to prison for decades for crimes they, they didn't commit and then were later exonerated based on you know, DNA evidence and they're released. And, and, he, and he looks at their lives and he quotes them and, and they talk about how even in the midst of the, the worst of the worst hardship, they experienced contentment and found joy in life. And he looks at this as an atheist and says, see, even like we have this ability to, uh, to, uh, to experience hardship and, and like, in a, like a psychological immune system, to, our body can take over and attack anything that would hurt us. Here's the problem that I, he has to know. He has to know this. The people that he quotes, the, the case studies that he looks at, this is great. They're all Christians. And they reference their faith as the thing that sustained them. This atheist in his study of this, like here's, we have this ability. He doesn't even realize, or maybe he doesn't, just doesn't want to admit it, that, that it's literally Christians who are experiencing their faith and living out their faith who just so happen to learn to be content. There is a remarkable, this is the quote from, from, uh, from her book. There is a remarkable correspondence between the psychological immune system Gilbert describes and the biblical call to contentment. What do you know? They line up. <laughs> the fifth one, gratitude is good for us. Daily gratitude is quite literally good for you. Um, in an experimental comparisons, they, they did a study about like those who would practice gratitude and those who don't and would compare. Those, um, it says this, those who kept gratitude journals on a weekly basis. So those who, all right, we're gonna do this study and every week you're gonna write down things you're grateful for, right? And then this other group wrote down not things that they aren't grateful for. Um, here's what it says. Those who kept gratitude journals on a weekly basis uh, exercise more, Okay, don't rub it in. <laughs> they exercised more, reported fewer physical symptoms, felt better about their lives, and were more optimistic about their upcoming week than those who recorded hassles or neutral life events. That actually practicing, writing down things you're grateful for improved their lives against those who didn't. That the practice of gratitude, like what Paul says, that in all circumstances, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you. What do you know? It actually works. Shocker. Here's a sixth one. Self-control and perseverance help us thrive. Again, uh, psychologist Angela Duckworth says that, that this is great. That passion and perseverance, what she defines, what she calls grit, and then she defines it in a particular way, that, that grit, passion and perseverance for long-term goals. Here's what she says. She, she, uh, what the study's fine. That they can, um, can be more, that these can be more predictive of a person's success than social intelligence, than good looks, than health, or even IQ. That the thing to get you ahead in life isn't like your IQ. Your IQ has to be smart, better than the, the, than the other person next to you. Or that you have to like, 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 oh, we only hire attractive people. Sorry, you don't make the cut. Like, we, uh, or, or, like or like your health isn't as good. The, the thing that she says determined that is far more determinative of success long-term is perseverance. It's passion and, and, and the, the desire to continue on. What Paul talks about to persevere till the end. He talks about running the race. And he says, I, I, we run in such a way to finish. Not everyone like who starts the race finishes, but we run not to start, but to finish, to persevere 
to the end. The Bible talks all about perseverance. And what do you know? It works. <laughs> Here's the seventh one. Forgiveness is foundational. Forgiveness, it seems, um, has been linked to, um, to, positive, uh, to multiple positive mental and physical health outcomes. There's even uh, in a journal, an article, that a study written about this. And it, here's the title of it. Forgiveness and Health, Scientific Evidence and Theories Relating Forgiveness to Better Health. There are, there are studies, scientifically and psychologically, that, that the, the act of actually forgiving people increases and betters your health, like your physical health. Like if it isn't just a good idea to forgive because like we're told to forgive. It isn't just a good idea to forgive because we know we've been forgiven. It isn't even just a good idea to forgive because we know it lifts a weight off of us and like the burdens we carry and like, like a forgiveness is, is a, a letting go of some of the things that, that we've been holding on to. Not only that, but it turns out forgiveness actually improves our health. Wow. What do you know? It works. <laughs> Here's her, her, uh, her conclusion. These are just seven of the, of the, of course, many biblical principles that benefit us. She concludes by saying this, does this alignment prove, this is the fact that, that what the Bible says and what we experience in life, they line up. Does this alignment prove that Christianity is true? This is, this is great intellectual honesty. She says, certainly not. This doesn't prove it's true. But the positive effects of religious participation on our mental and physical health should give us pause before we buy the claim that religion poisons everything. He says, this doesn't mean it's true, but you don't get to say it poisons everything because look at all of these positive benefits that we find in faith. So what about the other claim? I don't need religion to be good. Okay, let's answer this. How can I... This claim, I can be a good person without religion. We'll respond two ways, all right? Two parts. Part one, everything hinges on what we mean by good. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Good can only exist if God exists. If there's no God, ready? There's no good. Now, here's, listen to what we're saying. This isn't to say that you can't be good. The real debate is not about like, do I need God to be good? This happens all the time. If you watch guys debate, uh, um, uh, like actual, like atheist debate, this is, this is the Christopher Hitchens, this is where they land. It, it can get a little bit frustrating because they're arguing not at the right level. There's one step before that. This is, this is, the, this is where the debate really should land. The real issue is what is good? In a naturalistic worldview where the only thing that exists is nature, how can anything be good? It just is. How can we make any sort of moral or definitive statement about good or bad, right or wrong? Because in nature, what we see is nature. It just is. What we see is in natural selection, the good is survival. That's it. To survive is the only thing that matters. Natural selection, survival of the fittest. And we see this throughout the whole entire animal kingdom. But then when it comes to people, it's different. We, we don't define good as survival. It's far more than that. In fact, one of the, one of the aspects that we say is good, it includes self-sacrifice, the opposite of survival of the fittest. 
The issue is not, can you be good? Our disagreement is not that. The issue is the answer to the question, what is the source of our good? The atheist, honestly, and I've had discussions with, with plenty and guys that, that I respect and, and appreciate, but, but also like, all right, let's have a real discussion about this. They, they don't have a good universal answer for this, for morality. For the fact that, that, listen, some things are bad always and some things are good always. And it seems to point to some kind of universal standard. Here's here, some examples. We know that, uh, that murdering innocent is wrong and it, regardless of culture. It isn't because like we voted on it. That, that abusing, abusing or torturing people is wrong. We, this, um, this, this last week, uh, I'm sure you, you've been watching the news, man, it was, it's been hard for me to even just like, like look at Facebook and stuff. Um, this, uh, it, I'm sure you are aware of this school shooting in Texas. Uh, this, this, regardless of what you think about it and what the answer is and how do we stop this in the future, we, we can all agree something is broken, something like this can't, we can't allow this, it can't continue to happen. And here's what we would all say, this is wrong. What happened is wrong and evil. And there's not a person you know who will disagree with that. Now listen, why is it wrong? We all know it's wrong. What does that point to? The fact that it's not because it's our culture. This is wrong no matter where in the globe it happens. It, it's, it's wrong because we have what C.S. Lewis calls a moral law. Just like the law of gravity, there's a, a law of morality that there really are definitive, absolute rights and wrong. And when, when things like this last week happen, it, it, uh, it, it fractures this moral code that we all know and have. And we say, oh, I, whoa, this is, this is like wrong isn't a strong enough word for this. And we have that and it's there. And where does it come from? It points to, the only thing we can, we can, we can say is that, that this idea of, of a standard of any kind points to some sort of truth beyond ourselves. Without morality or ethics rooted in God or a definitive, if you don't like the word God, a definitive truth of some kind, one can only set artificial standards for oneself based on subjective assessments of good and bad behavior. All we can do is say, that seems to be good behavior, that seems to be bad behavior, but that's only because we agree on it. But there are things that seem to surpass whether we, whether we agree on it or not. Here's what we, here's our defense. Here's what we say with regard to where, what is good and how do we know. God has helped us define and live goodness. Whether someone is a Christian or not, here it is, ready? Here's the answer. It, regardless of whether you believe or not, you, you could think that what, everything I'm saying is just a bunch of baloney and you can't wait to be done. I, I totally get it. But here's, this doesn't change this next fact. You were made in the image of God. This is different than everyone else. This is the, this is the, the description and the, the, the definition in biblical Christianity as to why people are different than the rest of the animals and even our sense of right and wrong because we were made in the image of God and we were built with this moral compass inside us. God put it in us, it's different. 
and you don't even have to believe in this God or the, or, or the religion, the faith that he then sets up or his son, Jesus. You don't have to believe in any of that and you still get this compass. It's in you. This is why an atheist like Christopher Hitchens, both he and you or I as Christians, we can both be good without having to believe in God. The difference is not that we can or can't do it. Rather, what Christianity says is that the source of good the source that allows us to know good and wrong, right and right and in, in evil, is because we were made in his image as moral creatures. Now, part two. We'll end here. What does Christianity say about being a good person? Let's talk about this. Okay? This is I'm gonna mess you up again. Christianity is not about doing good. If you are here because you think attending church makes you a better person, you're doing it wrong. If you think that just simply showing up or that, or that if you get your spouse or, or friend or parent or child or neighbor, like just get them in the building and then they'll be a better person, you're mistaken. You're doing it wrong. Christianity is not about doing good. Here's, ready? It's about discovering grace. The goal of Christianity is not to be a good person. Now, listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. You should want to be a good person, right? This isn't permission to be like, pastor said, I can go do whatever I want. I'm gonna... No, that's not what we're saying. I don't know where that accent came from. I don't know who talks like that. <laughs> but you, you don't get permission. You don't get permission. That was, that was good. I'm gonna practice that later. You don't get permission to leave and say like, well, I don't have to be a good person anymore. No, no, no. All of us should pursue. And like, none of us should say like, you know what, tomorrow I want to be worse. Like my goal, yeah, I've decided. I want to be worse tomorrow than today. Nobody decides that. We should want to be better people, but that's not the goal of faith. That's not the goal of Christianity, to be a better person. The focus of Christianity is not how do I be better? Um, I've had a number of conversations with people uh, and, and had this question, uh, you know, people without faith. Um, you, let's, just, let's just, you know, one day you're gonna die and let's just say there is a God and one day you're standing before him and he says, hey, why should I let you in? Why should I, why should I let you into this whole thing? Like, check out this place behind me. You know, that's pretty awesome, right? Yeah, why should I let you in? And this is the response I get, honestly, like every time. Well, I'm, I'm a good person, I th- you know, uh, I, I'm... I'm I think, I think you can look at my life and see I, uh, I, I really am good at heart. Um, and then it's followed up by this. I've never murdered anyone. Yeah, okay, okay good. What else? I mean, that, that's a pretty low bar, but okay. <laughs> what else? What else have you done? And here's the follow-up question. How do you know when you're good enough? What's the minimum level of goodness you have to be for God to say, all right, come on in? And, and honestly, no one has an answer for that. The real answer is you gotta be perfect. You gotta be perfect. That's the bar, it's perfect. Well, hold on, I, I, don't, I don't meet that bar. That's, that's the point, none of us do. And, and in Christianity, the point isn't that you, that, like, that you learn to do good and that you are just better. The message of Christianity is the opposite. That we're, it isn't that we're trying to be good people, rather it's that we aren't good and we can't be. Romans three, Paul writes this, There is no one righteous, not even one. 
There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They all have, listen, they all have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Paul, super encouraging. He was, a, that's what he, this is what he did. He just encouraged you. Paul writes honestly because he understands, listen, the, the sin is so much more than like I messed up. Sin has affected every aspect of who we are. It's when we replace God with anything else that we're pursuing something else over God that it ruins everything. He's actually referencing and quoting Ecclesiastes 7. It says this, indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Christianity is about the grace and redeeming love that we find through Jesus, which overcomes our initial status of what the Bible calls sinners, of being bad, doing bad. A few verses later in the same chapter, Paul, he moves from like the bad news to the great news. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. He's like, there's no favoritism here. There's no like distinctions. This is for everyone. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If it ended there, this is terrible news. But he continues, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The message of the gospel, listen, if you hear nothing else, the message of the gospel is not, hey, just try harder. Just be better. Just earn more favor. God will love you more if you were just a better person. But look at you, you're not. You're terrible. How could you? That's not the message of the gospel. That's not at all. The point of the gospel is that you and I, we fail at becoming a better person and that Jesus did it for us, that we can't earn it. We're not good enough. And instead, Jesus earns it for us. Christianity is not about doing good. It's about discovering grace. So can you be a good person without religion? Oh, absolutely. But the point of religion is not to be a better person. The point of religion is to realize I'm not, I can't be good enough. I need help. And God himself sends a savior to do it for us. So we're going to have time of worship and then uh, communion together. But I want, you to, I want to ask you this first. Uh, first, will you stand with me? And then we're going to, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going, to, we're going to sing to the Lord. But I want to ask you this. Have you discovered this grace? Have you, have you found and experienced this, this, this grace that, that, that Christianity brings, that that supposedly this, this religion that poisons everything, that it, it offers so much good and benefit. Is it yours? Do you, do you have it? Have you found it? Will you pray with me? So Lord, we thank you for your goodness. And um, I pray for all of us that we would all take seriously this offer, this offer of grace that you give us that, that we aren't, we aren't good enough. We can't be. That we, no matter, no matter how hard we try, we sin and we fall short of your standard. And instead, you send Jesus, who did live up to the standard and, and, and took on the penalty that we deserved and paid our price, the price we couldn't. And so now we can know you. I pray, God, that all of us would take seriously this offer and this opportunity not to do better, not to do good, but instead to discover grace. We love you, Jesus, and we worship you now. We thank you 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.